the mic's rolling. I'm gonna get a quick sound check, but then we can roll right into it. Let me get uh, let me get you saying something. Yeah, man. Check one two one two. Where right. Detroit is different. What's up? All right, we're perfect. We're perfect. All right, it is. What day of the week is this? It's Friday, <laughs> December twenty second. It's Friday, man. Two thousand and seventeen. Uh, very close to uh Christmas. Uh, Kwanzaa. Hanukkah is already going on or it has passed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what other holidays people celebrate. Um, But for us, I have a basketball junkie and somebody that is very line step with what I do with Creative Differences. Andy Trade is different. A content creator, a creative. And like I say, I'm going to leave with basketball because it's a lot of basketball stuff happening around Christmas. Uh, It's a good time, man. That's when the NBA season starts. Matt Debble, how you feeling? What's up, man? I was just saying I went and saw some high school hoops last night, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game, I, I've missed high school basketball, and I didn't realize it. So it's like pure. It's fun, man. Oh, yes. It, it's, high school ball is, like we, like we were saying, it's, it's one of the few games where a team can be down like 25 points with four minutes left and, and just due to like – the, the spirit of it and mental era and then just the court the crowd it's it's a different feel well yeah i mean you got like 16 and 18 year old kids right i think mm-hmm. there's like this idea of it's never really over and that's you know i think that's attractive to to people like mm-hmm. it's never over until it's over and yeah. I, you get that with high school sports i mean i don't know i'm a big nba fan too i love college hoops college hoops is probably my thing mm-hmm. i'm a spartan Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the Pistons this year, man? They're kind of uh, they're, the, they're black and white, aren't they? Yeah, the the Pistons they they're they have an identity. I really okay. I, I'm not the biggest Reggie Jackson fan, so because of that, you know, and he's a big integral part of the Pistons. Um, What's what don't you like about Reggie? Um, sometimes it's like sometimes I think he can be more of a like. And I guess it's not even his fault in this era of basketball, but I don't think he's making the other players around him better, you know? And yeah. I that's a very tough thing to say and to do. But if he could make the players around him better and the Pistons need a guy to do that, and I feel like he could fulfill that role. I mean, when I look at what Oladipo is doing in Indiana this year by making the guys around him better, and I mean, he's playing phenomenal too, but he's making the guys around him better. I'm like, damn, Reggie can do some of that same stuff. Because yeah. I, I look at them as comparable players, you know. Yeah, Reggie has had a couple tough years. And I think if Reggie is playing well, then he's able to make everyone else better. If Reggie is scoring, then he can make other people better. And I think when things don't go well. So when they went on that, like, eight-game winning streak, he was balling. Mm-hmm. And him and Drummond look like this, you know, combo yeah. that's going to be tough to beat in the East. And then they lose seven in a row, and he's not scoring, and he's getting upset, and him and the coach are taking shots at each other. Yeah. It's like we got, you know, when things don't go well, you got to, like, maintain too, you know. Yeah, and, and and like I say, so so much stuff has grown with basketball. Like uh, Magic Johnson and Isaiah just had that discussion. Yeah. I haven't even watched it yet, yeah. but I'm very interested in that. Um, what we think about what has happened in my lifetime in watching basketball. That's my favorite sport. Um, and just the way that players look at the game, players look at branding, players look at making money, players just look at their whole career. Uh, it, 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 it's like one step is like, I want my team to win. And another step is like, yo, this is a profession. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like I see that more and more. So yeah. I kind of understand you. You really want to get that twenty five points a night, mm-hmm. so that you can that can lead to your fifty million dollar contract. You know. So, but it comes at the detriment of the fans. From like, man, you know this this could be a better team. Yeah. I well, I I know we're not here to talk basketball. I could. Yeah. yeah all I know, day. I know, but I, I think the NBA right now is like there's three teams that are gonna win it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could win it, and everyone else is just kind of like playing for contracts. Yeah, you know, like if you're on the Warriors, you want to get yours, but like you know, we got to play, we got to play ball, we got to win, we got records to break, we got to get that number one seed, get in the playoffs, and win mm-hmm. another one. But if you're playing for the Pistons, I mean, you ain't really, you really don't have a shot, do you? I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's... I, I'd like to say yes, everyone's got a shot. You know, uh-huh. it's only December, but. I don't. I don't think they're. They're not beating. I don't think they're even beating the Seventy Sixers. Okay, now that's a discussion. I think the Pistons could beat them, but but this kind of relates to what we do as um, your company and and what I do with Creative Differences is I call it a mo- uh, marketing firm, but in reality it's a content firm. Hmm. Content meaning we create content online, and this is how I think it all is interrelated as far as like the approach of how you do what you do mm-hmm. and so much of content really I, I try to break it down as it's real plain it's messaging you know you want to create a message that can deliver and convey something to an audience you know better if you target who that audience is mm-hmm. but even if they're outside of that target scope they can at least comprehend what it is yeah. so this is kind of like i guess like the the call to action that these other nba teams are making right now like we're still going to make a product that we want you to see, even though we may not have a chance to win a championship, <laughs> you know, but yes. we still want you yes. to come to the game yeah. outside of the Warriors coming to town. Look at and you. Then you could kind of argue like throughout the 90s, I, I knew the Bulls were going to win, but I still love basketball. Yeah, too. yeah. Uh, that's a good tie back. That's mm-hmm. where you tie in NBA basketball back to content creation. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Like, you need to have some form of message, mm-hmm. some form of message, and how that message uh, clicks. You know, so what led you into this whole journey of uh, video is great, photography is great, uh, you're also a good writer. Like, you, you're a. Uh, 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 you're like moving and creating things in a lot of different ways. Like, how did you get into this work? Cool, man. Thank you. Um, so, when, in 2008, <clears throat> I um, I was working for a. I was doing sales. I kind of always had this idea that I wanted to be a business owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, and so I had heard that some statistic from back in the day that like 75% of all business owners have sales experience. And I mean, we know now that like everyone is in sales. Yeah. Like no matter what role you play in an organization, you are selling something. Or you should be. Or you, <laughs> if, you if you want be. it, like, let's put it like this. If you want right. to remain on that or right. in that organization. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I took a job in sales. Um, I went, through a few different companies, I was really, I was, I was really good at it, and uh, but I didn't like it. I didn't love it, you know. Um, I got sick in '08. I ended up having a kidney transplant. Oh. Interesting side note: my my uncle's wife gave me her kidney, 
Wow. I know. It's called living unrelated donor, which is really rare. You know, like when someone gets needs a new organ, you generally like rally all the people in your world to get tested. Mm-hmm. But the chances that one of the people in your world who's not related to you is going to be a match is like under 1% or something like Mm. that. It's really rare. And she went and got tested, and the first test said that she wasn't a match. She's driving home with my mom who had taken her there, and she's saying, it's just not right. It's just not. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. And so she went back two weeks later and she's driving from Flushing down to Henry Ford on Grand Boulevard, you know, hour and a half drive. She drives back down two weeks later. They do another test. This time it is a match. And it was like a slow developing match, just like the universe, like playing games with our emotions. Um, So I had a kidney transplant and um, I went back to work and like two months later, it was just kind of. You know, it was different. I was different. And I was, like, trying to be the old me. I wanted to, like, fall back into my old patterns. And it just, I remember, like, sitting awake at one, you know, because I was on these just a tremendous amount of steroids. And it's hard to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was up at, like, 2.30 in the morning one night. And I was just writing. And I was writing about the old Matt and, like, my old tendencies and then I drew this vision of like what I wanted the new mat, which now saying it old mat, new mat is ridiculous, but what I wanted out of life, you know, and it was just like this, um, you know, no more barriers, no more these, these, I, this idea that I've got to have an income for some reason or another, um, you know, money's important to me, but, uh, it's just a tool and a resource and I wasn't seeing it that way. And then I, I this is a big shift. And so. My buddy and I, um, he had a Sony Handycam, and we went on the streets of Royal Oak, and we made a short video about parking tickets. Mm-hmm. Like, he got a crappy parking ticket, and we reenacted it, and then we did a couple other funny things. Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, it got some attention locally. Like, I won a little festival um, and we had a blog say, hey, I'll pay you guys 500 bucks. Every time you want to make a video, I'll pay you 500 bucks. Hmm. And I thought, I can do that, you know. Hmm. It was right at the beginning of video on the Internet. So I quit my job, started doing video production, uh, and it went well. We caught that wave. So, so, so basically all self-taught. All self-taught. I graduated from Michigan State University in 2000 with a construction management degree. Okay, definitely self-taught. I mean, (laughs) my buddy taught me a lot. He Uh, he just kind of had a brain for it. Like, mm -hmm. he knew how it worked. When he stayed with the company and I kind of was like, well, I'm going to do it myself, the quality went way down. And so I just had to, like, learn, build myself up. We did some pretty cool things back then. Really original um, boots-on-the-ground type stuff. Um, companies were making videos. They they didn't even know why. They just wanted video. It was like the thing, you know. So we did that for a while. I hated it. So you were talking about a lot of companies wanting video, but not necessarily knowing what they wanted to do with video. And they were just so focused on like the equipment that you had, as opposed to like telling a story 
with what they were doing with video, using vi video as a vehicle basically to get their message out. So how did you start to transition companies from just wanting to have something that looks cool to something that actually conveys reasoning why a person will want to purchase or yeah. why a person will find value in their service or brand yeah. or whatever they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I saw two very distinct uh, professions in what we were doing. There was this idea of like the one, the person with the technology recording and editing, but then there was this idea of like organizations don't understand how to how to talk to people in 2017. They just don't, and you know, you talk about messaging, which is so huge. Um, we just say like, you gotta say the right things to the right people. Mm -hmm. So like, you gotta spend time getting to know those people, what their challenges are, <laughs> and how you're helping them overcome those challenges, right? <laughs> and nobody does that. It's, it's funny you talk about that, like uh, with my staff, um, and, um, and you have a team too. And I met with you earlier this year when my team wasn't a, as active. Like I was just working with contractors here and there. Mm -hmm. But now I have people like in the camp now. Yeah. And it's cause for I'm me. Team, team Kari, baby. Team, team Kari, <laughs> team creative differences. In yep. reality, I feel like I'm the, the last man on the totem pole because I'm looking to encourage them because they, they have a lot of creativity. But just getting them to see a vision of what um, someone else is to convey. Hell yeah. It's like servant leadership, man. That's, that's how you got to roll. And the tough thing with it is it's caused me to like, like stuff that I've been taking for granted, like my process and my system that's in my head mm -hmm. to get out. And one of the number one things I always say is like, it's a client offer. And every client offer we're presenting as if, first off, we need to know why the client made the offer. Like, what's their value in it? Mm -hmm. The second thing is, what's the value to the person receiving the offer? The third thing is, what problem does the person receiving the offer have? And then the fourth thing is, why is what the client is offering the best solution <laughs> to, to that problem? So I always look at things as problems. And that's even... A, a hurdle sometimes because people are like why would it be considered a problem and i'm yeah. like we have to present it as if it, it they, like they're looking for some form of a solution i i would even go a little bit deeper sometimes like it's the problem and then it's what the problem means mm. you know like if i'm like what is the problem to us so we have a technology client we're working with mm -hmm. and their big challenge is like the ceo does not see you know, we get a call because the email's down, but the email being down is not your problem. That's the symptom of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think we as marketers, you know, whatever that title means, sure. I think we need to really be serving our clients by helping them see what that thing is doing to them. And oftentimes when you bring it up, they already know it. You know, so like if I have a CEO who um, like who the CEO's problem is rarely the same as the IT person's problem. Right. The CEO's Never. challenge, you're oftentimes talking about legacy, culture, um, um, you know, just like servant leadership, like a, a, a happy workforce. Um and so those challenges are super different. What we need to do is we need to be able to tie 
how that like symptom challenge, I'm sorry, how that challenge is creating symptoms that are keeping them from getting what they want. And, and stories do that. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I agree with you. And I would say that like generally whoever, you know, um, is at the top of an organization, most of their challenges are dealing with like adjusting the process. Mm. But the person that is taking whatever that offer is, you know, whether it be a sandwich, a pizza or whatever, like they, they could care less about the product. I, I just mm. want a good pizza. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the person working, making the pizza just mm-hmm. wants to make a pizza in the most uh, opportune way where it doesn't affect their quality of life. Yeah. You know, so like the, you know, as they say, the macro versus the micro, it's like the, <laughs> <laughs> but the micro affects the macro, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, and, and in the, in the internet world, like you can, I mean, you, you have the greatest test group ever and that's people that have already bought your product. So mm-hmm. like we, we need to be talking to those people, finding out what challenges we're helping them overcome and then like what that means in their life. Because that's what you then turn around and tell. You turn around and tell the what that means because people can feel that in their gut. You know, the challenge of like, well, email's broken, that you can't feel that. But the, 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 that means you, you're losing out on potential customers which means you're you're probably constantly worried about payroll. You're wondering if you can retire. Like those are things where you're like, "Ooh, I get yeah. that, man. I feel that pain." So, you were talking about switching off into basically it telling stories as opposed to focusing so much on tech. Yeah, I mean, I think um I, I think what we like where the internet sits right now is um, very small pockets of people who identify with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really what the internet has made up. The, the internet is made up of millions of niches. Yes. And so in order to, like, get to people's ears, we can no longer say, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is why you should buy our product. Like, that doesn't work anymore. Now we need to like be out there and sharing, really like sharing who we are, sharing what we do, giving it away. That's hard for a lot of people. Um, And we use like traditional storytelling techniques to help organizations identify with their niche, you know? And if you, as a company, if you go out there and you be the most authentic and vulnerable version of yourself, which exists, it does exist, and it's made up of your people, like you were talking about earlier, Kari, if you can do that, the right people will be will gravitate to your organization. Now, it, this kind of goes into like I always say, like reach versus rich, because that's what you want. But even before we get into that, as you talk about the internet right now, net neutrality. Mm. Uh, how do you how do you feel about that, and what impact is that going to have on things? As you talk about the different silos that do exist right now, of the people that are using the web i think um the pay structure is going to change i really think that that's that's going to be our biggest thing is you're gonna it's gonna break off even more as we have to start i mean so the caveat is like i'm not super well read on this type Mm -hmm. of stuff i have friends like tom lawrence who does his own youtube channel and and david phillips yeah man 
and Dave. I go mean, both of those dudes. Uh, both those guys. I met uh, I met him on a like a podcast panel, and it was immediately clear that like they were the ones that should be on the panel and not <laughs> me. <laughs> I mean, they know what they're talking about. They've been doing. I mean, you know, they, Dave is a machine. He's a machine, even, dude. I, I don't even know. Sometimes I look at all the stuff Dave does, like Dave. What are you doing? Yeah, I know your yeah. wife wants to kill you. And he's funny too. I mean, oh, that's Dave what like he's got this. He's got it down professionally, and he's also just like kind of a good dude. So yeah. I, I listen to them like post about it and talk about it, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the internet's going to become even more siloed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get pushed further into your corners of the internet, and you might have to pay a little bit more for it. Um, but that's about as far as my the extent of my knowledge goes. And, and in this conversation, I think it becomes even more important for companies to, like, sort of stand up and say, this is who we are, this is what we care about, start telling the right, saying the right things to the right people mm-hmm. in order to um, sort of fit into your corner of the Internet. And uh, as you talk about that, it, I actually agree completely. Like, there is an audience... You know, th- this era is more so than any era. Like, if you are a, if you want to make a company where you make steering wheels for yachts <laughs> and they cost $50,000 per steering wheel, mm-hmm. the internet nowadays, you, you may only have an audience of 10,000 people on earth, mm-hmm. but you can reach them. And if you have good content, you really can reach them. Yeah, man. Look at, um, I use uh, Insane Clown Posse as an example. <laughs> I mean, I don't like the Insane Clown Posse, but they are the most authentic versions of themselves. So when I say that, I don't, I don't necessarily mean like soft or kind, but they are taking their personalities and they are ramping it up by a hundred. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a big following. They they probably have like 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. But I think Shaggy's worth twelve million, and the other one's worth fourteen million because they have ten thousand people that are fully bought in that yes. say this represents me. I never like I'm and a I, hip hop fan. You're a hip hop fan. We would never buy a Monopoly board, um, right? Uh, tampons, <laughs> right. Um, uh, uh, action figures. No, I got my corner it, of the internet. It, it, it's like we would never buy that based on a hip hop artist. We right. would never say, you know what? I really like uh, Andre Three Thousand. You know, I trust I trust him when buying diapers for my children. <laughs> but the Juggalos will buy anything yes. branded with ICP. Yes, it's, it yes. is. It's a weird. Thing because like um, I, I was talking to a, a potential client the other day about the value of creating content and, mm-hmm. and what ends up happening. I was like, so you may start with a, you may start with um, you know selling because she she has a, a, a hair salon. I'm like, mm-hmm. you realize you'll start with the hair salon, but you got to think bigger than just the people you can touch because as people start buying from you, they accept you in as a trusted resource and an asset like yes. you like you're you're their own little oprah and you're curating life for them yes because it's like i trust you on this now i'm willing to try that yes not only that but the internet is full of people who, like who seek knowledge yes who want to know the secret sauce so if i'm a if i'm a hairstylist i'm out there giving away secrets you 
you and that's one of the biggest hurdles with some of my yep. some of my clients as I tell them like you know they used to say uh, the game is to be sold not told mm-hmm. now I think you tell the whole game the whole and thing. what ends up happening is a person that's worth being your customer mm-hmm. will say you know what I don't have time to do all of that, but mm-hmm. I trust and believe that you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. so I'm going to pay you for it. Yep. And the type of person that's so cheap that they're going to sit and watch all 1,000 videos, damn it, they probably would have figured it out anyway, A. Yep. Yep. And B, you don't even want them as a client. You're on it. That's 100% it. And you're better off giving away, I think, uh, is it Matthew Naomi, the guy at Recycle, the Recycle mm-hmm. Now in Detroit, says give away your candy. You're better off mm-hmm. giving away your candy and letting that filter out the people who would never buy from you anyways. I agree. The rest of the people will say, this is interesting. I can tell you do it. You entertain me. I want to be in a relationship with you. I'm just going to pay you to do it. And then furthermore, those people that take the candy are going to be the people that lead you to the person that's going to buy mm-hmm. because they're going to be your ambassadors. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, hey. You want to know how I learned it? I, mm-hmm. I watched this. I watched that. You were just telling me to check out this other website. Yep. And I may end up being a customer from them because mm-hmm. you're considering being a customer from them. Mm-hmm. And it was told through. It was told to you through a friend. Yep. And this is all yep. how the Internet works right now. Yep. So basically, one, two casual conversations will mm-hmm. lead to um, uh, uh, probably two potential sales in 2018 yep. or probably from another conversation yep. from the one person that sat down and probably watched it and is doing it for free. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know? the trick right now, the thing that's like the really good ones are doing is they're dispensing knowledge in a fun way. Mm-hmm. And so I try to think about like, I have this buddy um, that I went to college. He actually, we met when we were, um, we were in kindergarten. We went to the same elementary. He moved away in sixth grade, lost complete contact, and then we ran into each other at a party at Michigan State. And, you know, quick friends again. Ain't that so? Yeah, it was cool. Lived together. We've been like best boys ever since. And, um, you know, I try to think, when I create content, I try to think about how I would explain it to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want it to be super informational, but also like entertaining and real and me you know and so like i'm a little bit um i'm pretty not safe for work like i use i use a lot of language and i make some um i don't know i guess you'd say it's like edgy i don't know so anytime i try to like explain or bring that out i'm trying to also be that but you know but that even helps I would argue because I do a lot of that too. Like somebody was like, "Man, you have your dating relationship podcasts," and I'm like, "Yeah, it is raunchy, but it's that type of topic." And when we talk about it, it's that I think, I think we're to a point where I don't, you know, like this. It's not, it's not Lever to Beaver. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that was a different America. Yeah. Everyone is using oh, coarse yeah. language. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And we. And, you know, we're, we're, and we, and we know the difference. Like if I'm around children, we're not going to, we're not going to be speaking in such manner, but 
I, I don't think people segment off. And then, yeah. do you really want the type of, uh, you know, do you want to work with the, the client that's going to be, you know, the minute that you yourself, yep. that, you know, me and you are going to wear jeans sometimes to a meeting. Yep. I mean, we have suits. We have mm-hmm. uh, a, a button-up shirt and everything. Now, if we're opening, we're probably going to wear that. But eventually, you're going to see me in jeans because that's how I work. That's who I am. Yeah. Yep. And if, you, if shit offends you, we're probably not going to get along. I and that's okay, right? Yeah. That that's okay. That that lets me know that that's one less person I have to worry about marketing to. Yes. So like I put that out there, yes. and then you know quickly, like whether or not this is interesting to me. Yeah, and then we don't have to worry about you know uh, giving some statement like I, I did not mean to say shit last Friday. <laughs> right. We've lost, and I apologize, right. and I'm going to go into shit counseling or whatever. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like something goofy. Yeah, and you uh, know what's funny is like this stuff takes work. It's ha- I mean, it's hard to be real when the cameras turn on and the mic. Mm-hmm. We go into like corporate talk in meetings. We all say shit outside of work, but then what, for some reason we like flip this switch, and and it's you have to like practice. Not you don't have to practice to say shit, but you have to. It takes practice to get good at this kind of stuff. And so you got to get to Detroit different. You got to get on the mic and you got to let it be shit. You got to let it be bad. And it's going to be, you know, you said they can't, you know, they're, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. They can't all be home runs. No, it's going to be bad. They're, they're not even, even to this day, I'm still learning and I look at stuff and I'm like, "Mm, that could have been better. But I believe also you know, it's not quantity over quality as much as this is what's so different about the, the, the content world. Some of my because I'm a consumer of it, like it, it's just like when I made rap songs, like I'm a consumer. of it. Mm-hmm. So I've been listening to Joe Rogan's podcast for years, but I remember like and now he has millions of listeners. But I was like one of those first listeners and I was like, this is just cool. And he mm-hmm. just sit sometimes and talk for 40 minutes and then sometimes he sit and talk for three and a half hours and people are like, that shit is too long. You know, and it's like, no, nah, man, this is an interesting discussion because you get the layers in and like different authors have come on there. Like, like you know, it, it, it is so unique to like, you know, it's like, man, you know, you read 48 Laws of Power and it's like, okay, this is great. But then when Robert Greene goes on there and it's like, I'm not saying I... It just you you know it's a different take and it's like okay how how casual is this yeah is this just all theory or yeah. is this sincerely you basically mm-hmm. what you said like how much of this is you how much is Malcolm Gaudwell you know <laughs> right. the tipping point yeah. Malcolm Malcolm at the bar like will yeah. he be presenting this information to me or is this all contrived so there's a way to do it right there's a way to like Malcolm Gladwell does it which um well the way he does it now he has a podcast that I really like mm-hmm. um. It's and his has gotten way better over time. It has. But he has the resources, right? Yeah. So he can come into a place. He's got the best editors. He's, But, you know, he's done the work. Mm-hmm. Like, he's done the work. So we do work with DTE. And when DTE calls us, we take in six people, seven people. It's a production, right? Because mm-hmm. they have the resources. Mm-hmm. Most people, all you need is somebody like, like you, Kari, mm-hmm. and you need courage. You need the courage to say, like, I made this and I'm putting it out into the world. Now, on the flip side of that, too, it's funny you said, like, as people think of their professional thought. And I mean, from street guys to, 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 you know, people that run million dollar organizations, it's something about turning on the microphone and turning on the camera. 
that freezes a lot of people up that are extremely charismatic without it. And then you get in there and then it's like, I'm going to have to carry the weight of this conversation. <laughs> you know, I, I like talking, but and it's other people that like talking, but it's a it's a it's a different art form. But I, I agree. You mm-hmm. got to get in there and you got to be as casual and you can't think about like, well, who will I offend and, and who am I not going to be able to sell to? And, mm-hmm. and, and I want to be able to sell to everybody. So if I say that, you know, I, I make I make, uh, you know, I, I'm only really making kosher food. Then will, will people think I don't know how to make food that's not kosher? And it's like if that if kosher food is what you do, do it, man. Talk about it. Do it. Now, uh-huh. Yep. Along with this, and, and I know we're we're running close, but we definitely got to get you back in effect to talk some basketball, talk everything <laughs> else. But you also are are just you know the the, the human dynamic. You're a, you're a dad, uh, a husband, uh, um, and you're building your company, and you have a lot of uh, like. With, I look at you, and I'm saying like, damn, it, this could be real. You have a lot of other young creatives that work with you and your team, like. What is the balance between that as you get, you know, as you see them building their families and doing mm-hmm. their creative things? Like, mm-hmm. how do you keep your team together mm. um, as they get opportunities connected to you? Because I'm pretty sure, you know, the, the the equipment you offer them and the technical skills they have, your work is great. So, Thanks, man. like, what are you doing to keep them on par so that they can, you yeah. know, stay focused on the vision yeah. and then also how do you still balance yourself so that like everything isn't just work but you have yeah. like uh you know time yeah. where your wife is not like uh man I'm about to kill you man. <laughs> sometimes i mean she sometimes there there are points like last night i'm like hey i'm going to a high school basketball game tonight she's like man you've been gone three nights <laughs> you know it, it happens but Let me get this out before, and I want to answer those questions. I just want to say, like, I really dig what you got here. I'm not kidding, man. This, I say, I think one of the hardest things is, like, the courage to say, I made this, and you can judge it. But, like, this feels very safe to, like, come in here, have a conversation, record a video, do a podcast. So I want to, first of all, say, like, what you're doing here, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you are, this is, there's something here. Um, as far as like balance personally, I, I have a few like key areas in my life. First is my family. I'm a father to three kids, one, a three month old boy, a four year old boy and a five year old girl. Uh, two is my work. Three is my health, like my body. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and then four is kind of my relationships, which kind of ties into my family too. So it's really like three different things for me. And, um, the, the, you know, it's all very connected, obviously. If something's not going right in one, it's hard for me to compartmentalize. Um, but the best thing I've ever done is um, I've gotten out of this mentality that, like, I need to get up at – I mean, I get up early because I have kids. But this idea that from, like, 8 to 6 or 7 or 8 p.m. you're working – Um, never really spoke to me. And so I've like set my schedule to, to, uh, fulfill my life, not like my life to fulfill my schedule. So for instance, um, we don't have an office because I office to me feels like a ball and chain. Mm -hmm. So we all work kind of wherever I work from home a lot. We work from coffee shops a lot. 
Um, I work out every day. I work out at 2 p.m. every day, which is like... um, That seems to be a a prime time where somebody will possibly want a meeting as well. (laughs) I have to... I say no to a lot of afternoon meetings um, because I'm not good. I'm like not at my best at 2 p.m. So if I'm in a meeting, I'm yawning, I'm not bringing my full self to the conversation. If I'm sitting at my computer, I'm falling asleep. So I made this decision every day at two o'clock, instead of like doing shit, sitting at a computer, I'm gonna go work out. And um, there was a little bit of pushback at first, but um, I think the world organizes around um, people doing positive things, I guess. I think the universe kind of like, uh, you know, or universe or God or whatever it is, that thing, I think it rewards people who are sort of like living their best life. And, and a 2 p.m. workout is my best life. So I go at 2 p.m. to work out and I kill it. And then I get back to the office at like four and I finish, you know, working till five. And a lot of times I have to open my computer at night, but it doesn't matter because I've set myself up for the night. So I have a great evening with my kids. They get home at 4.30. They go to bed at about 8. And those three and a half hours are like good because I've worked out. I drink three liters of water every day, hmm. um, which I'm I'm actually starting like my own podcast about just like healthy living as an entrepreneur and a dad. And my first one is drink three. Li- here's how to drink three liters of water every day. You know, it's funny you said that. Like, this year, business has grown, but health, because I generally will work out, like, three three to four times a week, but just I was always bouncing around trying to make sure I could meet the demands of different clients. Yeah. And and that's the other thing that I'm, I'm, um, I'm starting to just come to come to amends with, like, um, and... 18, I know a lot of people always say that, but 18, I got to get back on the rhythm because I think better when I work out. Like, I have, Mm -hmm. like, a whole gym upstairs in my house, but Mm. I think better when I work out because even though I'm counting reps and listening to podcasts and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. I'm still, like, thinking through other steps in life. No doubt. You know, especially running. I love running. Yes. um, so you you saying that I may I may adopt that that theory of like just pick a time because I used to pick like certain days mm-hmm. but then it'd be like loose so like I I used to do uh, Tuesday Thursday uh, two well I would do Tuesday Thursday uh, Sunday and Monday but or, or I guess I could have said it the opposite way but <laughs> but. Um, but then it'd be like weird times. So I'd yeah. sometimes be working out at 10 in the morning and then mm-hmm. sometimes at 6 o'clock at night. And then mm-hmm. it'd be like, well, I'm going to sleep in late, so I'll just work out at 10 at night. Yeah. So it was just spor- sporadic, yeah. you know. But I-, I may do exactly what you said. Just you should try time. it. Try like, yeah. try 2 p.m. I mean, it feels very it, – it also has this like um, – like I'm breaking the rules kind of feeling. Yeah, I was going to say, it just seems like so many meetings, everybody wants to either like have at like three, three o'clock is a classic, like, oh, let's just meet at three. Like, yeah. to, but you're right. In, in reality, the three o'clock meeting generally is, you know. I mean, what if you said no? What if you said I don't, I, I don't take afternoon meetings? Would people be like, what? I'm not going to do business with you. Yeah, no. They, well, I mean. Just say, all right, well, then what about this morning? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you could. I think you could also be really open and just be like, "Look, I'm. I, that's my time, and I, mm-hmm. I only get an hour a day, and like that's my hour." And so I treat it like that. I mean, it's very precious to me. I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll be there today, and it's like really important time. I uh, I have a lot of what I think are pretty big things going on, mm-hmm. and if I like think about how big those things are, you know, I get paralyzed and. I mean, I want to do big things just like you. And so when I'm at the gym, like th- for some reason, I'm able to see things like in terms of next step very, yeah. very well. I have very, I agree. a lot of clarity. I agree. You know, I'm sweating, I'm working out and just like for some reason my brain works differently. So I think it's important. I, I think it's like driving a lot of what I do. It's been really powerful for me. I, I actually, because I do know that like when I run and lift, and then I have a heavy bag, so I, I knock around on the heavy bag. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm thinking about a lot of stuff. Like, just it could be personal, but definitely business. Like, yeah, it's like you see the next steps differently because something about like being on, and, and then I, I have like different levels of productivity. So sometimes I can just go through, I can go through like looking at pictures, like, ah, that's a horrible picture. And then, like, I get like that's one level of productivity. Right. And, like, kind of look at the shoot and say, ah, I can line up the shoot, pluralize, or do a little color correction. Mm. Then I got a very, I, I like to write when I'm at my highest level of productivity because that's like when I'm thinking clear and all of that stuff. Yeah, and then you sometimes have the, 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 can talk to people, uh, interact and set up a meeting, make a sale. That's like maybe the second le- level, but. It's like different ways that I, I think I can be more effective, but it's good that you're saying that because I think there is a level of quality of life that's sacrificed as you look at. Because you know you're right, my my clients they're they're going on vacation, they're you right. know, doing what they want to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the culture we live in as entrepreneurs is like you're never off, like you're never turned off, and you can't be lazy. Like that's a bad combination. You're mm-hmm. always available for work and you like this guilt around like just laying on the couch or going to work out at two o'clock mm-hmm. that's bad i mean that's you know you gotta shut it down you gotta yeah. be able to shut it down you gotta be able to be lazy or go work out or like do your thing so i i don't know and I then kinda... it, it adds to another form of like thought process and then how have you been able to balance because that's the other thing as an entrepreneur just dating or 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 Family life, like when my mom's passing, I've, I've played more of a role in more of my family's life. Uh, and definitely thank you for your prayers and everything, because that happened this this past summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but how have you been able to balance that whole angle with, you know, because that's always been one of those things where it's like, ah. yeah, and I don't I don't feel like I see my kids enough for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I mean, I could spend, you know. I mean, there are times when, like, man, I got to get out of the house. But, but like, I dropped him off today and just, like, this little, it's like, pull in your heart of, like, oh, I'm going to miss you. Like, I want to stay with you and spend time with you. I feel that way all the time. Um, and, you know, it's hard. But I also know that, like, they've got to have their own time. They're starting to grow up. So mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of, like, patience and forgiveness you know with myself like being okay that i'm gonna miss dinner one night a week or i mean i do i'm very consistent with dinner like i i'm home at five i don't miss dinner usually um but so i kind of like have that as a touchstone i get them ready in the morning 
-hmm. you know so like when we are together i try to make it like those you know those really important times like they know i'm going to be eating dinner with them Mm -hmm. uh, putting them to bed you know so it it really um when i am not working i'm trying to like just be thankful just show gratitude like have a thankful heart and then like be forgiving of myself that it's not always going to work if i'm killing myself over like finding more time for my family i won't you know Hmm. that's the way the world works it's like if if i am if i'm forgiving of myself i'm patient with myself i know that eventually i'll get like you know I'll, I'll th- that that what I'm going through right now and the reason I'm not seeing them very much is just temporary. Next week it'll change. Okay. So I I, I mean balance is hard, um, but I think um, you have to like make this choice of my work is not me, mm-hmm. you know. So I I I think working out has helped a lot. I think being able to like the things that an entre- being an entrepreneur allows me to do is like. I don't have to be to the office at eight o'clock so I can get them ready. I don't, you know, I don't have to be at the office at two o'clock so I can go work out. And then when I see them at four 30, I've had my workout. I feel good. I feel ready to like make dinner and be a part of their lives. So that's kind of what I do. All right. So on the, uh, just, I guess more, more classic Detroit is different questions. I gotta, I gotta ask you a couple three as we wrap up. First off, uh, 2018, what are you going to be doing? What what will we see from your content? Uh, what projects is your, are, are you working on uh, professionally that you want to share? Mm-hmm. What's happened in 2018? Uh, I made a uh, – I dabbled in content this year. 2018 is a big push okay. for us um, to start taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to start selling some products online. Okay. We're trying to take – our process and productize it okay so we can get it get it online and get it to more people that's the idea I mean as of right now to hire us to be a consultant you know you're looking at uh, over you know 90 days 20 30 grand mm-hmm. that's really that's that puts you know, a lot of people out of the you, room. right and, yes. and we live in a city where so many organizations are under resourced over challenged and so i'm thinking like why are we why is the only way we're selling this product face to face like i can create content i can give away our stuff online and start driving people towards um you know telling better stories through you know through the things that we're sharing and and um and just trying to like be more open i'm doing a podcast I'm I'm starting up a podcast that's kind of in line with what we just were talking about. That's about like the health. And yeah, like how to live my best life. You that's know. Cool. Yep. Um, I want. Uh, we're going to be adding a couple team members in 2018. With it. We got a big project, a big nonprofit project where we're going to be working with 25 different companies to mm. um, help them find and share their stories. So we're okay. getting funded. We're getting, well, knock on wood. I think we're getting a little bit of funding to do that. And okay. Really just like growing, you know, growing m- my learning. I, I got a lot to learn. So um, getting better at finding our people and saying the right thing to them. You know, same things everybody's kind of working through. So basically build, finding the right people on team mm-hmm. <laughs> and then finding the right 
client, my dad was talking about that because he's a CPA. Like, you want to pick and choose who your clients are mm -hmm. so that it's a better work relationship. No and doubt. Managing those expectations. Mm -hmm. um, so here are some classic Detroit is different questions. All right. Um, first, uh, what was your first car? And uh, what year? <laughs> what year was the model? And what year did you have it? Uh, in 1991, I inherited 50 percent of a vehicle that my sister and I shared. <laughs> it was a 1985. Uh, uh, oh my God, Chrysler. Um, oh, what was it called? The Sky. Ah, uh, shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Chrysler LeBaron. It was a Chrysler LeBaron. Ah. It was maroon red. Um, I loved it. My sister hated it. But, like, you know, I had my license. I had freedom. It had, like, the bench seating, uh, cassette player. I mean, I loved that <laughs> where, thing, man. Where was the first place you drove to when you got it? Uh, my dad gave me the, like, hey, can you go pick up a gallon of milk? You know, like, the, just the excuse to drive to the store. Uh -huh. You know, my old man, right, he's, like, um, just hard. He was hard as stone on the outside, but just, like, soft as a teddy bear inside. So uh -huh. I came in, and they were, like, you know, I had just passed my driver's license and had the conversation. I, I wanted my own car. I thought that that was happening. But um, they yeah, told the me time share. Yeah, the time <laughs> share. Yeah, my own car was a was a uh, Grand Am, like an '88 gray Grand Am. What year did you get it? I got it in '90 when my sister graduated, so '94. Okay. She she had needed the car for school, so I ended up having to get my own. Okay. I'm very lucky. I, I have parents that like you know, they took care of us, but there was never extravagance it was never like getting a new car you know it's mm -hmm. like you're gonna get the hand-me-down or you're gonna get the beater and i i really value that i'll probably do the same thing to my kids oh man so they won't be pulling up in the uh the, nope. the jetson <laughs> we will not see the dimple sons no. in the jetson vehicle no the flintstone vehicle <laughs> the flintstone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, I remember I couldn't have anyone in the back seat. I wasn't allowed to drive anyone in the back seat. My parents knew me very well. And of course I did. And of course I got caught. And of course I got the t car taken away. Ah, uh, nothing's worse than car punishment. Oh, man. It's the but worst. But you know, this, this generation of kids, they don't even, like, all my cousins, like, we were so eager to get a driver's license, but just due to the internet, they're not. They don't even it. care, right? Yeah, yeah Uber. Like, My nephew's sixteen, still didn't have his license. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, when well, we were like, we were like twelve. Like, all right, I'm gonna take driver's training. Yep, <laughs> yep. Can you go drive me around in the parking lot, Dad? Go to the parking lot, you know, drive <laughs> you over not. the curb. Car was freedom. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man, it was. And you're right. That's interesting. Like, there's more freedom now because of the. You know, I hadn't really thought about it he my nephew says like oh i've got friends that drive yeah but it's right. not that no we did not want to like we wouldn't mind riding with our friends to yeah the party, totally it wasn't a better it was not a better feeling than going to that first high school party oh man pulling up yourself it was just like ah this is ah. 
It was life. I was I was 16 early, too. I'm an October birthday, so I was, like, the first one. Oh, so, yeah, you were the man. I was the <laughs> man. Like, I'm not going to have people in my backseat. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're riding with that. <laughs> yeah, people in the trunk. <laughs> people in the trunk. <laughs> I know. It's like, you look up, it's like a car full of people. You can't focus. <laughs> <laughs> Getting lost trying to find. Like, really, that's, that's how I learned to drive around Detroit. Um, uh, those early years, you know, uh, getting a girl's phone number at the mall, mm. getting lost way on the east side of Southwest Detroit. <laughs> what did we do when we got lost? What did we do? <laughs> you had to, uh, it, it, depending upon going to a girl's house, you, you were, uh, we turned into, uh, I don't know. Right? Like, it, like it, Pocahontas, man. Yeah, we were just like <laughs> finding our way. <laughs> Like, there's a footprint. It must be that way. It's like, all right, she said, you know, landmark. (laughs) (laughs) Landmark navigation. She said it was a a mobile. Yes. (laughs) My dad still does that. My dad still, we went up north this summer, and we went from his, they have this cottage in Oscoda, which is on the east side, and we were driving across the state to, um, oh, like the, um, uh, you know, Traverse City, oh, Harbor Cove or something, oh, Petoskey area. Mm-hmm. And we were getting ready to leave, and we had the kids all packed up, and my parents were saying goodbye to the kids. And my dad's like, all right, so you're going to go out of the driveway, and you're going to turn left. You're going to go all the way down, and I'm just like, I'm like, have my phone right now. <laughs> you know, I'm holding it in my hand. And I just, like, let him go and just like, okay. I'm, like, looking at him like, okay. Okay, uh-huh. And I can tell he's getting joy from this, you know, yes. from the, like, explanation of where to go. Uh, I just, like, let it play out. I, I, I still sometimes text people, depending upon if they ask where it's at, I, I, I text them the whole, like, because I know how to get over here, like, ever. Like, depending, right. wherever you are, I can mm. get you over to mm. my crib. And it's like, okay, so where are you coming from? Right, right, right. Where are you at? You. All right, take 696. To, yep. <laughs> um, other classic Detroit is a different question. You're doing a block party, uh, firework night on Jefferson. <laughs> what are three songs you're definitely gonna play? What? Oh my god! Wow, um, that's a big question. Holy cow! Um, it's gonna be mostly hip hop. I figured that. Um, it's gotta be something, something off a of Tupac's "Me Against the World" album. Okay. Um, you gotta pick a song. I mean, I would say probably old school. Okay. Because it's like um, basically that is the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I feel like it's got a real nice hook. Some of that album's really angry, and I don't think it would do super well at a block party. <laughs> um, I'd probably play "Down with the Kings" by Run DMC, and then um, maybe "Own Light" by Brother Ali. Mm. Have you listened to that at all? Brother Ali. I was introduced to Brother Ali not too long ago. Like yeah. Brother Ali. I'm I'm super into it. Uh I would yeah, that would probably be number three. Okay. Okay. That's a great question. This I'm having this is the fun part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. These are like uh like what I do at the end is like I'm gonna like, you know, mix and match all these different songs yeah, yeah. and different things and different answers from people, you know, what, especially what, that car question. You're <laughs> You know. You're big on Run DMC. Like, tell me why. Oh, um, 
my you know you always look up to your older cousins mm -hmm. so when i was younger my older cousin uh <laughs> i guess lamumba reynolds now but he was djr too and he had like a very break dancing group and he was always playing like run dmc so it's like you know through your older cousin you start getting connected to this music so mm -hmm. he basically introduced me to so much hip-hop so like uh, Run DMC and Grandmaster Flash, but the cool thing about Run DMC is like no offense to uh, you know uh, Bam Bada and Grandmaster Flash and mm -hmm. um, Sugar Hill Gang and even Curtis Blow, but Run DMC were like the first rappers where it's like okay they're cool, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like before they th those guys, the other guys, and I I realized they were like replicating what the funk artists were doing, mm. but it just felt like you know like I, I'm still a you know, I, I like Run DMC so much. I'm one of the few people that think that uh, Crush Groove is better than uh, better than B Street. You know what I'm saying? Even though I think B Street is probably a better narrative and everything, <laughs> but but it, it just like those guys are cool. Whereas like the rest of it, it just seemed a little bit too far. Like I'm sure like how my cousins feel, like how I, I listen to you know Redman or Outkast or something oh, yeah. like that, and they're like, well, what is this old rap stuff? Crush you Groove know. is better. Turn this thing off. <laughs> Crush Groove is better than Beat Street. I mean, but that's, <laughs> but that's also my favorite. I mean, we, I mean, for me, it was like the uniforms, man. When they just came out and it was like the Adidas, the tracksuits, the shoes with no, no laces, the gold chains, the hats. We were like, yep. That's yeah, it, it, right it, there. it was like, these guys are cool. I mean, just like, I mean, it was a picture that I have in my, um, in my screensaver or my desktop, mm -hmm. and uh, you were talking about the Beasties and the and, and Toge Randy together and the Beastie at last, Boys were, they were, you know, they're, I think, I think License to Ill may be, you know, it's definitely a, a top hip hop album of all time. It was just like this is this is amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was a joke. It was a. They were like it was supposed to be. I mean, it was, you know, they never thought it would be commercially viable because it was white guys kind of making fun of other white guy rappers kind of thing. Um, it just went crazy, it, man. It, it, it went Paul crazy. Revere. Yes. Paul Revere. And it's just like they're there. And then it's like they, they're their overlap rap style, like mm -hmm. influence so many of the uh, mm -hmm. of of every rapper like mm -hmm. from there forward it was like oh this is this is how you have a rap group and i mean that was the era of rap group. you know what my three songs i, I mean we're trying to get the like party going all right let me read let me redo my three songs as much as i love the songs i said i'd have to go with like maybe californication or not californication california love Mm -hmm. Californication, that's a song too, isn't it? Uh, or is that a Peppers. show? Yeah, that, Chili Peppers. That's a, a show, and it was yeah. the album from Chili Peppers and everything. Yeah. Chili no. Peppers had, like, uh, you could probably play stuff off there, like, early, like, the, the, the deep heroin years. Yeah, like the <laughs> sex magic stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would play California Love. You know, you can't go wrong with, like, Juicy. Yes, Yes. And then I, I still stick with Own Light. I love what Brother Ali's doing, man. It's like, mm -hmm. it's hard hitting. It's, um, the lyrics are just crazy good. The beats are pretty good. And it's all like positive. Mm -hmm. It's all like, you know, I bring my own light. Like, you ain't got to light me up. I got my own light. I mean, it's mm -hmm. really, really, I think, I just think what he's doing. And he's been around 
for yeah. me, it's new. You know, like yeah. I was talking to my buddy who lives in Minnesota. He's like, oh, yeah, Brother Ali. He's one of those. He's another one of those people with like a, what I call a rich audience. Like he has a fan base yes. of people that connect to him. Um, this kind of brings me up to with what I do with Detroit is different. And even what I've done with my hip hop career, like mm. my biggest inspirations are actually Invincible and Derek May. Just because something that Derek May told me, uh, one of the forefathers of Detroit hip hop, mm-hmm. I mean, not hip hop, techno. Mm-hmm. Um, we were sitting and missing, li- li- talking and Derek is so, Derek's so cool. He's like the coolest person ever. Derek mm. is hilarious. He was like, you know, man, when, when we started this shit, man, it was just like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of from the burbs and everything and all these other, you know, these three ghetto-ass black dudes uh, playing this weird-ass music nobody else wanted to listen to. He was right. like, you know, it'd be us and, 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 like, about 12 white kids all, you know, drinking or getting hot. But those 12 white kids were, were white kids that, you know, went on to, 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 to Harvard or Michigan, and they took the music with them. Wow. And, <laughs> and basically what he said was, like, so, and this is, kind of goes back into the niche thing of mm-hmm. it. and I always remember this and it echoes like they felt so a part of techno music that every step that they walked throughout their life they brought it along with them yep. so you know one of those guys that was originally in like they called it techno alley like and it was just like up on you know the roof on it across from Eastern Market or whatever one of those guys ends up being like the marketing executive for Audi Wow. So now it's like, okay, the minute that I'm doing commercials, whose yes. music am I putting in it? Yeah. Some of those other people end up being like Hollywood executives. The minute that we, we pick music and, and it's a fight scene, whose yep. music are we putting in it? Yep. So it's like sometimes you may not have the masses mm-hmm. behind you. And then this is the other thing. So like when you're an artist with like mass appeal, people look at it like differently. Like if I'm at a concert and, and, and mass music comes on, I'm just responding more so to the masses and I'm not responding really to to feeling like it's an experiential connection. Mm. I, the shows where I've performed where it's like five people and they actually sit and watch, those people are my fans for forever. Mm-hmm. The shows where I've performed and it's like 5,000 people, I mean, they could care less. They're looking at the girl next to them, they're right. thinking about the drink, they're right. opening up their cell phone. Like they're not even... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they're not even yeah. Yeah. remote. Their presence of mind yep. is more in the culture of, yep. of like, I'm, I'm at a... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, they're at a party. Yes. You know? Whereas the presence of mind you have mm-hmm. with the the that intimate show, that intimate setting, where you feel as though, like, I want to advocate for this because I feel like I'm a part of this. Yes. And I'm really in the moment mm-hmm. with whatever this is as opposed to, like, oh, everybody else says that I should see uh, Star Wars, then I want to see Star Wars. There's some Star Wars fans that, like, are really yeah connected to that culture yeah. that are not going to see it, like, the way that I watch it. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, but and you know why I saw it? Because of those people. <laughs> you know, like I I'm, agree. I saw it a week after it came out, and if it weren't for the people standing in line, I don't know if I, I mean, I don't but know if I ever saw it. But that's what I'm saying. So yeah. you can end up with a niche audience that can expand totally. out. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of my favorite people to look at are marketing. Or it's always music people. Like I look at what Jimmy Buffett has done, and I say to myself, like, he's created a whole culture around like a world a lifestyle. Yes, of of, of like. 
you know, people, it's like, damn, people. Fruity are, drinks. That's yeah. all he's done. I would never tailgate to go to a show. Right. I'm, 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 I'm showing up. <laughs> right. But those people, like, if Jimmy Buffett's concert starts at 8 o'clock, I tell people, like, anytime he's going to perform, you need to look at his audience, look at his crowd. Dude, they're, yes. they're in the parking lots with, uh, mm-hmm. with beach balls. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know how that started? That started with one person. Yeah. Right? Just like you got to start with one person. Like, you find that one person and turn them into two people. You know, and you got to take care of it. Like, that's that's creating an audience. You you just go out and be you, mm-hmm. and people will be attracted to that. And you take care of those people by, by lifting them up mm-hmm. and, and letting them be a part of the conversation, but also just consistently creating content. Yeah, he definitely does that. Yeah, he does. Jesus, he, he, he's like I—I I couldn't tell you one of his songs. Like my 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 Jimmy Buffett music guy is, I guess Jack Johnson. I like his music. I but, do too. But uh, it, it's it's like wow, like I never, you know what I'm saying? And you feel connected to a different thought process. I mean, he's like one of the top earners every year, right? Like concert goer yeah. attendance. I mean, and he when I don't is he putting on music anymore? I don't I mean, even but, think he's like, doing let's that. Put it like this, it, it, he's not on any like top one hundred sales list. No, of like songs. You no, know what I'm saying? yeah, he's, he's just not, showing up and he's singing about like alcohol and beaches and people eat it up because that's a thing, right? He is the <laughs> he is the most authentic <laughs> version of himself and people are attracted to that. I, yeah, like like he and you feel like with his show. That's what I try to do with my show, like. You don't even feel like it's a separation between the person, like him on stage yep. and the person dancing in the audience. Like yep. you feel, like you say, the authentic version, like I'm a part of this, yep. not like, you know, like, and I think that's another form of entertainment too, like I, spectacle entertainment. I have been to a Jimmy Buffett concert and I was kicked out. <laughs> I won't go into that, but I got kicked out of a Jimmy Buffett concert when I was like 24. Too many margaritas. I, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like think this that guy was it. <laughs> well, dude, I love what you've got going on here. I'm not kidding. This is something special, and I'm really excited. I want to. I want to talk about it. I'm going to tell people it. about it. Let's do it. The last Detroit is different question, and then you got to let people know how to get in contact with you is if you could rename Woodward after one person, who would it be? Whoa. What? One Detroiter. Oh, my God. Rename Woodward after one person. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, my God. There are, like, so many ways you could go with this. Um, I think Hazen Pingree has one of the greatest names in Detroit history. Um, the potato, the potato mayor, right? Isn't that what they call him? But, um, that's almost too easy. Um, I, uh, I think that like Detroit, so I came to Detroit in, um, like 06. Mm -hmm. I started like really spending time in the city and of course i did it like a lot of white kids from the suburbs do uh, you know i i found a place that i liked and i frequented that place and then that turned into finding a place down the street and frequenting that place and just kind of like growing from there back in the day when like you'd walk into a coffee shop and you knew everyone because it was such a small community i mean 
it was like a small tight knit community. Um, and so I, I have like run into a lot of, um, people that are doing the hard work, like on the ground floor. And I think we kind of think about Detroit in those ways. Like Detroit's very, you know, this idea of like blue collar and like, that's what the Pistons brand is, right? Like going to work, which I think we really need to relook at how we talk about ourselves as a city. Um, I say we, I don't even, I don't live here anymore, but I still feel incredibly connected to the city. I think Detroit needs to take a look at this idea of like lunch box, lunch pail work ethic. And while it's certainly still there and we're all grinding and we're all doing our thing, you know, the, the, the adage is everyone's got a side hustle in Detroit Mm -hmm. and it's true. Everyone's working hard. And, um, I think we need to like somehow rebrand what this city is made of. Um, and so I wouldn't pick like a traditional person. I would think more along the lines of someone like, I don't, I don't want to like make his head big, but do you know Francis Gruno? Francis is a lifelong Detroiter who, um, really like fights for the good things in Detroit, like um, saving old buildings, regionalization, um, you know, walkable streets, things that like um, the new wave of business is not really thinking about. But I mean, how can you say named Woodward after your friend? That sounds, (laughs) you like get a big head after that one, wouldn't he? Um, Who represents like the working man around here? Who represents the everyman? I mean, you know, or or we could just like name it after Big Sean. We name it Big <laughs> Sean Boulevard. What about Big Sean's like killing it right now, dude? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Globally. <coughs> um, that's a fun one. Big Sean Boulevard, Danny B. <laughs> Danny B. Way. Hilarious. Let's go with Big Sean. Okay. I, I took a long time to get there. Why don't you cut all that oh. shit out? And then, like, I was really, uh, I was telling a story mm-hmm. just to buy myself time. It's the only <laughs> reason I was doing that. That's cool. That's, that's, that's what ends up happening sometimes. Man, that's How cool. do people get in contact with you? Yeah, so um, you can find me all over the internet if you search Matt Dibble, Michigan, Matt Dibble, Detroit. There's, like, an artist, Matt Dibble, who's mm-hmm. kind of killing it. And there's a skateboarder, Matt Dibble. That's a cool ass name for a skateboarder. It's right. A cool name, period. But like and, that, and that's a the good skateboarder, skateboarder name. puts out tons of content. So <laughs> no matter what I do, I like can't get over the hump on Matt Dibble. So if you search Matt Dibble Detroit, you can find me. My email address and my phone number are both on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Facebook. It's it's facebook.com slash the dibbler. Um uh, I do uh a lot of YouTubing, so Matthew Dibble on YouTube. Um, I'm on Twitter at Matthew Dibble. I'm on Instagram at Matt Dibble. I'm all over, you know. But if you just search for my name, you'll be able to find me. Cool, that works. We'll definitely get you back in effect, and I'm it sure we'll fun, probably man. swap out. Thank 